This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Do you ever have one of those moments where you're watching TV or you happen to be listening to some segment on a cable news channel and you say, am I the only person noticing that this is insane? Am I the only person who is noticing that the discussion now taking place in front of my eyes or maybe even if you hear it on the radio via my ears is nuts? And then you check yourself. How is it that I'm the only one who thinks this is nuts and everybody else thinks it's reasonable? If you are feeling that way, I would like to urge you to remember that you are not the only one feeling that way. And whenever we are able to interact with one another and convince one another that, no, we're not the people who are nuts, you feel a whole lot better, don't you? Especially in light of the Delta variant. I'm going to get into a little bit on all the new insanity concerning COVID-19. Wasn't it just a few months ago that we were told by the head of the CDC that these vaccines were going to solve everything? Do you remember that? Yeah, it, it was not that long ago. In fact, when you go back to March 29th, 2021, the head of the CDC, the director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, went on, I believe it was MSNBC, and said this. Cut four. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real world data. That's pretty definitive, isn't it? Really definitive. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus, according to our data from the CDC. Many people, I find it kind of quaint, but many people still believe that if you hear something from a government agency in the United States, that you can take it to the bank. And I think the CDC has pretty thoroughly unravel that entire assumption because on any given day, the CDC could say absolutely anything and does. All you need to do is compile all of these conflicting narratives that they have put together at varying points in time. And here's what happens when they actually own up to the fact that their last prediction was bogus. This happened on April 2nd. Remember, March 29th was when Rochelle Walensky made that statement that our data from the CDC today suggests vaccinated people do not carry the virus, even as we're seeing these numbers now via the Hill, at least 233 staffers at a pair of San Francisco hospitals have tested positive for COVID-19 and the majority of them were fully vaccinated, which does not go along with what Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the eminent CDC director, had to say on March 29th. And it was just a few days later that the Hill ran this little bit and, and see if you can detect a little propaganda in here. This is Cut 5. The CDC is clarifying claims made by the agency's director that made it sound like two COVID-19 vaccines were 100% effective. Speaking on MSNBC March 29th, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said, quote, vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. The claim prompted criticism from scientists who said that while transmission from vaccinated people may be unlikely, there's not enough data to claim someone who's inoculated can never later become infected and potentially spread the virus. 
Walensky had been referring to a study showing people who received both doses of either the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines were 90% less likely to be infected, not 100% as her statement would have meant literally. The CDC later told the New York Times Walensky was speaking broadly during the interview. She was speaking broadly and wrongly. Did you hear the phrasing at the beginning of that clip? Well, these comments from Dr. Walensky made it sound like people who have been vaccinated will not carry the virus. No, it it wasn't a matter of she made it sound like. She said it. And this isn't some low-level bureaucrat 75 tiers down from the head of the CDC. This was the head of the CDC. The CDC's director is saying this. And then it's just kind of tossed aside like, oops, well, you know, she was just speaking broadly. That's not how it works. You can't, on one hand, make a definitive remark the way that she did in March, saying that these vaccines will be the be-all, end-all, and you can go back to your normal life. And how many times were we told that? And now you have reports the Biden administration is actually considering the idea, maybe, possibly, of more restrictions, stricter guidelines. Some people are even throwing around the word lockdowns. And I don't think you can take anything potentially off the table with this administration, do you? Because we all know this is one big political hot potato. You know, the bloom is off the rose. The 15 days that were to slow the spread were a long time ago now, and a lot of us have our eyes wide open. Even so, the CDC revised its mask guidance just a few days ago. They are now telling fully vaccinated people to wear masks in indoor crowded settings. Right, because the masks worked so well the first time. Do we have to, again, card out all of those government videos? OSHA, for example, I played those videos at one time where they're saying these masks are not to guard against viruses. They're not going to do anything to guard against serious diseases. I mean, they say this on their own website. They've probably scrubbed it by now, but that's why we save these things. But the government itself has said these masks do not work. We know that the, the hole sizes in these masks, small as they are, are too big to prevent the coronavirus from getting through them. So we know also from all of the mask mandates that were so insane during the height of the pandemic did not work. And it wasn't just a matter of California and Hawaii, which had the most draconian mask mandates where it did work, but it was all around the world. I go back to a piece at The Federalist. Let's let's go back. And this was I get this ran in October of 2020. But at the time, they mentioned California required masks in June of last year, but cases still went up by more than 300 percent. And the state at that time was still heavily locked down with still higher cases. Hawaii suffered one of the most economically devastating lockdowns of all states. It was also an early mover on mandating masks, both indoors and outdoors, but cases still went up by almost a thousand percent. You would think that you would learn. But when you don't want to let people enjoy the freedom that God gave them, then you invent new reasons to keep the population in line. Why are you dying to take big firehouses and blow them on people who are going to stand up against future lockdowns or future mask mandates the way they're doing over in Europe? I certainly hope not. This administration, though, is more intent on putting up fences to keep white supremacists from attacking the Capitol, which was never needed in the first place. And now we're seeing the whole January 6th nonsense going on with this bogus commission and the fake tears. How much of this can we take? How much of this are we going to take? I saw a CNN segment, maybe you saw this yesterday, in which a guest, I'm not sure exactly who it was, but a guest was claiming that what we really need to do is admit that some of these other 
ideas that we've put in place to try to control the Delta variant have not worked. And so what we really need to do is mandate N95s. Oh, there, is that going to be the next leftist trick? Everybody's going to have to wear an N95 mask. Have you ever donned an N95 mask? Well, back, this was back in January of 2021, so just a few months ago, and I dug out this story from the ABC affiliate in New York City. There's been a lot of back and forth throughout the pandemic with doctors recommending wearing N95 masks, they said, but... Dun, 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 dun. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky is recommending the general public not to wear them. She said at the time, they're very hard to breathe in when you wear them properly. They're very hard to tolerate when you wear them for long periods of time. And even the station says the N95 masks are really designed for first responders. You've probably seen people wearing them. The five-layer masks come with a foam nose strip that covers much of your face. Dr. Walensky, they say, as well as Dr. Anthony Fauci, are still saying people should wear a mask, but they say the general public doesn't need to wear the N95 ones because they're uncomfortable and hard to breathe in. Really? So is the double mask, Dr. Fauci. I mean, they just keep flipping and I'm just waiting. I am just waiting for them to do another flip. You know, what we really need is to have the American population, including the vaccinated people, wearing N95s all the time. Forget it. It's not happening. It's not happening, especially when you're looking at the data. How many people are actually dying from the Delta variant? Are we having hospitals full of corpses? I mean, it's horrible. We don't want anybody to get sick. It's awful, but we have a pandemic. And you're going to have some people getting sick. You're going to have some people ending up in the hospital. And we hope and pray each and every one of them will be able to get well, but not everybody will. And it's awful. But you want to hamstring the rest of the population again? Yeah, they probably do. And there's more. We're going to tell you about it when we come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe. The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Tsonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people and, uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger, or spiritual hunger, is very much visible. If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa. On average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique. We went to this church just on the outskirts of Maputo. Uh, the church had about um, about 100 people and the, the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. But everybody else had never seen a Bible. And that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can, you know, where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the word of God. Through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ, Bible League is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph in South Africa. We were in a place called Mpumalanga. The lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of 60, she never had a Bible. It is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles. 
You can be the answer to a Bibleist believer praying for God's Word through Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and your gift right now of any size will help us reach our goal to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800 Yes Word, 800 Y E S W O R D, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. I was mentioning before, at least 233 staffers at a couple of San Francisco hospitals are now testing positive for COVID-19. Most of them were vaccinated. The Hill reports 55 cases were discovered among staff members at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital as of July 31st. And of those who tested positive, roughly 75 to 80 percent were fully vaccinated. More than 7,000 staff members reportedly work at the facility. And then the University of California San Francisco Medical Center said 183 staff members tested positive as of Friday, 153 of whom were fully vaccinated. So what are you supposed to say? Yes, it seems this Delta variant is highly contagious, but again, it's more of this fear, 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 fear. Get the masks back on. Maybe they should be N95 masks this time. Maybe we're going to be locked down again. I mean, this was the story from News Press Now. Uh, this is via CNN, actually. On Friday, President Biden said the U.S. will, in all probability, see more guidelines and restrictions amid rising coronavirus cases and the spread of the highly contagious Delta variant. What are you going to do that's going to do anything? That's what I would like to know. If lockdowns didn't work and if mask mandates didn't work, and in fact, they had the opposite effect where you had many, many, many people getting very sick and many, many people getting very depressed and suicidal and people actually committing suicide. I've heard some horror stories from friends of mine about others they knew who actually killed themselves because they had COVID-19. They didn't die of it. They were just so terrified when they got it that they killed. I've had a story over the weekend of a woman, a friend of a friend who killed herself. It happens. Why is that not as big an issue as COVID-19? Because they can politicize this. And you can see who is scared and who is not scared when you are out and about. I have to actually tell a funny story because I was on an airplane over the weekend and actually coming, well, it was flying out. I was on this plane and people were being very compliant, wearing their masks because Biden says you got to wear a mask on an airplane, even though there have been no super spreader events on airplanes the entire course of the pandemic. And at one point, the angry flight attendants <laughs> who were who not uh, busy serving drinks in, in the cabin, which I guess they're doing again now, one, one of them gets on the all call and says... Now, everybody, you are expected via federal guidelines to make sure that your nose and your mouth are fully covered by your mask. And by the way, just because you're eating doesn't mean you can take your mask off. And everybody just starts looking at themselves. Really? What, should we cut a hole in it? Would that make you happy? And she says, if you are going to eat or drink, you can lower your mask, take a sip or take a bite, and then you have to put the mask back over your face. And then when you're ready for the next sip or bite, you can take it back off. And I'm thinking to myself, the majority of people I'm looking at, I can read their minds because they're all thinking, you're nuts. Again, you're thinking, I am I the only one who sees this? But you 
you, you look around the airplane and you catch eyes with people, which I tend to do. And we're all thinking this. A lot of us are thinking this anyway. So I don't even know what to think about all this. It's just a whole lesson in people who are very easily controlled. Now, let's go back to July 8th because I want to talk about Dr. Fauci. I've got some good stuff on Dr. Fauci, recent stuff. Dr. Fauci on July 8th was asked, how effective are the mRNA vaccines against the Delta variant? And this was what he said. Cut to. First, let's take a look at the mRNA vaccines, which are two out of the three vaccines that are used in this country. And mRNA overwhelmingly used the most among vaccines. The real world setting, as shown here, if you ask, cases protected against a Scotland study showing that two doses of Pfizer are about 79% protective. Symptomatic disease, a study from England, again, two doses of Pfizer, 88% and hospitalizations, again, in England, two doses, 96% real-world effectiveness. You can make a quite reasonable assumption that data that are applicable to Pfizer are also applicable to Moderna. Then the next slide, please. The question is, I've just spoken about the mRNA vaccines. What about the J&J &J vaccines? There's indirect and direct evidence for effectiveness of J&J &J against the Delta variant. Because if you look at a comparison between the J&J &J and the Oxford AstraZeneca or the AZ vaccine, because they use similar adenovirus vectors, we have clinical data with AZ in real world effectiveness. And as you can see, when you look at infection versus symptomatic versus the important number on the bottom of the slide, 92% effective against hospitalization from the Delta variant. Okay, what, what do you take away from this? He's giving the numbers on how effective the mRNA vaccines are on hospitalizations, severe infections. And in fact, somebody was raising this question. Alex Berenson, you can read a lot of what he has to say on Twitter. He was formerly with the New York Times and he's been censored a lot because he's been doing a lot of pandemic reporting and bringing up questions and data. But one of the questions he raised, which I thought was very interesting a few days ago, was if it's the, the fact that these mRNA vaccines in particular are not legally vaccines. That was the question. I'm not saying they're not legal, but the, the definition of a vaccine is it inoculates against a disease. These apparently are not the same as other vaccines. mRNA are to get your immune system to kick in strong. So he was asking the question, would this be a situation in which the vaccines that are put out as vaccines are more like therapeutics, more like a Tamiflu. I'm saying the Tamiflu. He didn't. But, you know, when you get the flu and you take Tamiflu, it will reduce the severity of the flu and it will reduce the longevity of the symptoms. So you get better faster and it does not inoculate you against flu, clearly, but it will make it less painful and less deadly. That's the idea. And so he was raising the question as to whether or not the mRNA vaccines actually would fit more in that category, in which case, how could you force anybody to get one? Because nobody can legally force you to take a therapeutic. Now, I don't know the answer to this question, but it seemed to me to be a very smart question. 
Now we're seeing the data. And you got this story from CNN. Vaccination alone won't stop the rise of new variants and, in fact, could push the evolution of strains that evade the protection. Well, of course, because this was never inoculation in the first place. Nobody said we're going to come up with a coronavirus vaccine, coronavirus vaccine that will eliminate the coronavirus, especially when you have new strains coming out. I mean, at what point do you say this is terrible? Do the best you can like you do, do during the flu season. Make sure you wash your hands a lot. Reduce your interaction with crowds if you have comorbidities or if you have added health issues. Just be smart. I know people who are older and have some health problems and during flu season, they try to stay home because they don't want to go out and about too much and increase their risk of contracting the flu. But at the same time, we're living in a world where you contract things. How do you completely protect yourself against anything that's out there as some kind of airborne virus? Anybody have any ideas on how you have 100% safety? Maybe this is part and parcel of the utopia mentality that many people have. We can create a perfect world if we just do X, if we just redistribute the wealth, if we just get rid of all of the oil and gas and the fossil fuels, then we'll have a perfect society that is running and it'll be a green society. It will be glorious. That'll be fantastic. And maybe we can create a vaccine where I never, ever have to be afraid again. You're living in la la land because that's not how the world is. It's good to have vaccines. I'm glad for vaccines that actually help people. But you can't be utopian about it. And you also can't be draconian about it. And I don't know how to deal with this. I do appreciate what we're getting now from the GOP, which is these findings that the House Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, the Republicans on that committee, have been probing into the possible origins of COVID-19. Texas Representative Michael McCall went on Fox and called the Chinese Communist Party and its role in the Wuhan lab the greatest cover-up in human history. So keep digging. Here's something else to keep digging on. This is crazy. This is from the National Pulse. And they reported just yesterday the National Institutes of Health database that tracks U.S. taxpayer-backed research grants, including what Fauci's agency sent to the Wuhan lab, this gain-of-function research funding that he got so worked up about when he was confronted by Senator Rand Paul, you can't access on the website anymore. Ooh, yeah, this is really on the up and up. Whenever you find a scrubbed website, you can be sure that something is on the up and up. It's crazy. They say here, when searched, the database, which itemizes the billions in taxpayer-funded grants distributed by various national institutes of health agencies, yields no results and prompts users with an error message. And they have screenshots of all of it. And in addition to this, uh, you're seeing people come out and say Fauci has no credibility anymore. They have the issue of, you know, the internal CDC document urges new messaging, warns the Delta infections are likely more severe, but that doesn't seem to be the case anecdotally. It's crazy out there. And you also have Republicans now saying they want to audit the CDC. Well, of course they should audit the CDC. The CDC, in my estimation, has little to no credibility anymore because they can't stick with a story. And they seem a lot more politically minded than they do health minded. A lot of people think that. A lot of people think that. Because how much did they care when your child came home from school last year crying from having worn a mask for nine hours a day after months of this? There are a lot of kids who are really upset and really depressed. And why don't their 
rights come to mind. Fauci even came out and said, if you don't wear a mask, it's it's tantamount to infringing upon other people's individual rights. Note to Dr. Fauci, that's not how individual rights were ever understood by the founders. And you are misappropriating that phrase for your own political gain. And by the way, what about the fact that you funded the Wuhan lab? And what about the fact that the GOP is now honing in on the fact that the coronavirus was likely leaked from the Wuhan lab, which from all indications, it it was. We don't have definitive proof at this moment such that you can say 100% sure we know it came. COVID-19 came from the Wuhan lab and it was leaked. But this guy's, you know, and his cohorts at the NIH are stripping the database information off the internet. Really? And we're supposed to trust you? We're supposed to trust you. We're supposed to worry. I have to worry about your individual rights. How about you worry about our individual rights? That would be a good place to start if we were to regain any trust whatsoever in the CDC. I'll tell you what you can trust, and it's God's word. And I want to tell you, thank you for those of you who have been helping us send Bibles to Africa as part of the Bible League International Campaign, Open the Floodgates. We still need your help. A gift of $5 will send one Bible. A gift of $25 will send five. Just call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. As if our nation weren't already in enough turmoil, schools are emerging as the next major battleground over the latest insane ideologies. Parents are out there taking on school boards over issues such as critical race theory and mask mandates and problematic curricula. What is a Christian parent to do at a time like this? Well, first and foremost, we have to remember our duties concerning our kids' education. And we're going to talk about it more today with David Clausen, who is director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council. David, great to talk to you. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show, Janet. Great to be with you again. Well, thank you. It's great to have you. Tell us what's going on. We hear a lot of these stories anecdotally about this school district or that school district, and parents are getting riled up about this or that, and and it just seems to be on the increase. Is that what you're finding? It is what I'm finding. I think, you know, I think there's been issues, even like you said in your intro, within the public school system, particularly that's been bubbling up for years. But I think we're really now seeing it mainly because as we emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, where so many people had to uh, pull their kids out of school and homeschool and seek alternative options, now that we're getting ready to go back to school in the next week or so, I think for the first time, people are really paying attention um, to what's happening in the school system. And that's why you're seeing uh, these, I don't know what else to call them, other than confrontations in these school board meetings all over the country, whether it's a mask mandate, issues related to transgenderism, uh, the, this revisionist history, um, how racism in American history is being taught. All of these issues are, are percolating, whether it's in Loudoun County, Virginia, Minnesota, Wisconsin, California, Florida. It, it's really all over the place. And I think as we're going back to school, parents or maybe parents who hadn't paid attention before are now seeing exactly what our 
uh, students are having to learn at these schools. You know, that's a really good point you raised because it was during the pandemic and the lockdown that I saw many reports of parents going to their kids, you know, computers while they were doing online school. And the teachers were saying things like, well, I'm teaching you this, but don't let your parents know. Well, the parents are sitting there and hearing it. And I'm wondering if it might be the case that the pandemic has made parents much more aware that they need to be on top of their children's education. Oh, without doubt. And I think that one of the reasons we're seeing, uh, I've talked to people in the homeschooling movement, I think, you know, 3%, 4% of Americans homeschooling their kids before, that's uh, up to about 13% in some areas right now, just because I think, like you said, a lot of parents were, you know, maybe walking through the living room, walking through the kitchen, and hearing, overhearing, you know, some of these lectures that were being taught, not just to their high school student, but to their middle and elementary school students. I think there's parents around the country that were frankly horrified and shocked learning what's taking place in these classrooms. Well, I agree with you. When we're talking about whether it's critical race theory or the mask mandates or transgenderism, the LGBT curricula, these kinds of issues that have come up, and everything seems to be coming to a head a little bit, what does that tell you about the cultural clash in general in this country, and especially the cultural clash over a biblical worldview versus a secularized worldview that just seems to have taken off on steroids in the wrong direction? It just the, the heating up of the battle in and of itself, I find very interesting and, and really, I think, noteworthy. Oh, it is noteworthy, and that's perceptive, Janet, to notice, you know, to, to, to say, you know, a lot of these things are actually just manifestations of this deeper clash in worldviews, uh, and that's actually why FRC uh, has our Center for Biblical Worldview. Uh, we've been looking at these trends, and, you know, Family Research Council here in D.C., we've always cared about this issue, but uh, we brought George Barna, the well-known researcher, on, and uh, one of the latest polls that he did for us shows that only 6% of Americans have what you can call a biblical worldview. Only 6%. That means the vast majority of our friends and neighbors, and even those we go to church with, are not looking at all these issues through the lens of Scripture. And it actually, uh, Janet, doesn't get much better when you move into the evangelical church. Uh, The poll that we commissioned just a month or so ago showed that although 81% of people who attend evangelical churches uh, think they have a biblical worldview, it's actually only 21% uh, who actually have a biblical worldview. And so, again, that means the vast majority of people do not come at these issues that we're discussing through the lens of God's Word, and that's why you're seeing kind of all the mess that you are seeing, uh, particularly what you and I are talking about right now in the school system. Now, this is kind of an interesting question, David, because somebody might listen to those stats and say, how much of the problem of people attending evangelical churches thinking they have a biblical worldview, and then it turns out most of them don't? can be attributed to the fact that most of the Christian kids are in public schools. What's your sense on that issue? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm not one to completely dump on all public schools. I think that, you know, each situation is different for each family. Uh, But the reality is our public school system has gotten really bad. And that's why I've been, uh, since I wrote this article uh, that where I think you and I are discussing, um, you can find it on frc.org slash worldview, um, I've been asked a lot about the different options for students. And so, again, I'm not one to dump on public schools, but we just need to be sober-minded and, and clear-eyed uh, that the indoctrinization that's taking place in the public schools has picked up. And ultimately, if you are a Christian, uh, you are called, I believe, to steward. We're, we're, you, Christians are called to steward everything that God has given us but especially you're called to steward your child. And that's why I've been saying this with increasing frequency, that parents 
need to view themselves as the chief disciple-makers in their home. And I think that's why every Christian couple needs to have a conversation at the beginning of every school year. What's the best decision for our son or for our daughter this year? And maybe that'll change given the needs of their child, given the whatever the dynamics are on the ground, but I think parents need to view themselves as the chief disciple-maker in their homes, and they can't farm that out um, without realizing, you know, if, if you're going to send your kid to a private school or a public school, there might need to be some other supplemental work that you have to do to make sure your kids are getting that biblical worldview that we're talking about. Well, yeah, and you make a good point, David, because increasingly we're also hearing anecdotal problems with Christian schools. It's not like you can send your child to any old Christian school and they're going to get a biblical worldview when they come out the other end. It's just that we are not in those times right now. No, we're, we're not, and I think um, the days of being naive, and they need to be over, because I think there probably was a time where a Christian parent could send their kid to a Christian school and say, hey, I have them in the Christian school, and I take them to youth group uh, on Sunday night or Wednesday night, so they get to spend some good time with the youth pastor and kind of think, well, hey, look, I've done my job. Uh, that, that's not cutting it anymore, and I think that's why parents need to be intentional. Uh, I've heard of uh, parents uh, making sure that their dinner time, uh, they put the cell phones in the other room and they, they use the dinner time as a time to, to walk through the day, to walk through issues, to walk through a biblical worldview issues. Um, you know, each family is going to have a different situation, but we have to be intentional. Or the, the trend that we're seeing of Gen Z having, you know, 2 to 3% having a biblical worldview, that'll just get even worse. Yeah, that's right. You get to the next generation and the way the trends are going will be down to 0%. And, and that just can't happen. When you use the phrase biblical worldview, David, I know this is very elementary to go back to the basics like this, but I think it's needed in this day and age. When you're saying the phrase biblical worldview, what does that mean exactly? What all does that pack into, uh, you know, everything that's packed into that compl- that phrase? Because people will say the Bible is a big book. What does it mean to have a biblical worldview? Yeah, let's just start with the term worldview. Uh, a worldview is simply just the lens through which you see the world. The, the, the metaphor I use is like I, I wear contact lenses. So your worldview is almost like a set of glasses or a contact lens through which you see the world, uh, understand the world, interpret everything that's going on. And that, that's kind of filtered back in. It says just a worldview is how you see the world. A biblical worldview means simply that your worldview is filtered through the Bible. Um, You know, every worldview has to answer major questions. Why is there something rather than nothing? What's gone wrong with the world? Is there any hope for humanity? Where is all this headed? Every worldview has to answer those kind of big meta questions. And the biblical worldview answers those questions through the lens of Scripture. Why is there something rather than nothing? Because God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1 and 2. What's gone wrong with the world? The fall, Genesis 3. Is there any hope? Yes, there's hope, and it has a name, Jesus. That's the gospel story. Where's all this headed? Uh, Kind of a question of eschatology. Ultimately, the second coming when Jesus comes back. So a biblical worldview is just we're seeing everything that's taking place around us through the lens of Scripture. I think that's very well said. I think that's a great definition of biblical worldview. And it really is important for us to stress the duty of parents in education. Great article from David Clawson. We're going to get into more on this when we come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Don't go away.
Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved with ministries like Pre. Preborn. Help moms choose life with Preborn. Your gift of $28 provides an abortion-minded mother a potentially life-saving ultrasound. $140 could save five babies. You can give now at 855-601-BABY. That's 855-601-2229 or visit preborn.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, we have had a really disconcerting period of time here in the United States of America. I don't think anybody who has lived through the last year and a half would doubt that. And it doesn't seem to be getting much better anytime soon. It always seems like once we're over a little bit of a hump, another hump is looming in the background, sometimes a mountain. David Clausen is with us. He's director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council and has written recently an article, The Duty of Parents in Education. And this is so important, especially, David, as we were mentioning earlier, because so many parents are beginning to really notice what what their schools are teaching the kids and objecting strenuously. But we do need to go back to this question of Christian parents. We have a unique duty because we have that command from the Lord that these are his children. We are caretakers of these children. While they're on earth, we have a serious responsibility to raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. How do you go about beginning to do that? If you have new Christian parents you know, listening, for example, who say, we haven't been Christians very long. We have a new baby. We have a two-year-old. We want to do the right thing, but it's so confusing because you do have different options. Public school, uh, how do we evaluate whether or not that's a, a non-starter versus homeschooling versus Christian school? What do you say to those you know, maybe new Christian parents who say, I don't even know where to begin. What should I do? Yeah, no, that's a terrific question, Janet, and there are, you're right. Uh, there are a lot of resources out there. I saw uh, the other day you had my good friend Jeff Myers on your show who leads Summit Ministries, which yes. is uh, the ministry that I would point everyone to that has uh, high school or college-age students. Um, but you're right. What, what do we do? What do we tell young Christian parents? And I think, you know, uh, and that's we are in the process, actually, at Family Research Council to design uh, children's curriculum, uh, because this is such a pressing need. 
uh, George Barna, the one of the polls that he came out with, said that one's worldview uh, is actually solidified by the age of 13. Mm. And so we, we can't even just wait to high school. We need to be starting in middle school, elementary school, and even before they get there. Yeah. And so I think one very practical thing uh, I mentioned in the first segment is finding time that is intentional with your children. Uh, I, uh, growing up, I know my parents, uh, before we'd go to bed every night, uh, they'd get my, my dad would gather uh, my, myself, my sister, and my mom would be there, and we would just do prayer requests together, and he would do a short little devotional. Uh, you know, my dad doesn't have a seminary degree, and he didn't go to Bible college, but he would just open up the Bible and, and read a chapter or two, and then we'd, we would discuss it okay. and then talk about it. And then he, uh, each night a different one of us would lead in, in prayer. Um, when I was in middle school and high school, my parents prioritized the dinner table. My dad had a devotional that we would go through. And so, again, you know, this isn't has to be crazy rocket science, or you don't have to know Greek and Hebrew to do this. Just be intentional with your child um, when they're those few hours that you have them at home. And then, obviously, when it comes to education, I think each parent should look at the options. Is homeschooling, private school, public school, what's right for them? And I think every year you should probably revisit that decision. Uh, and that's what my parents did. I was homeschooled. I went to private school, uh, back to homeschool, back to private school. Just, you know, what is best for your child given their maturity level and given what your options are for education for that year? Yeah. And I'm just like you on this issue, David. I think that there is liberty among Christian parents to do what works for their family. But there are also limits because you think about something like this raging brush fire over critical race theory. Mm. And, I, you know, the, the LGBT issue is just as bad. Where is the line? I hear a lot of Christian parents asking this. At what point can I no longer tolerate what is going on in my local public school if there are other good reasons to keep my children there? I know it's an individual decision, but is there a bridge too far in your mind on if you start seeing X, you need to get out? Yeah, Janet, I think that the two issues you just named, uh, the critical race theory, again, which that's that's a buzzword right now in, in our public discourse, but essentially what that is, for example, uh, the 1619 Project by the New York Times, which is basically telling us that our, you know, 1776 wasn't the founding of this country, it was actually 1619, and so, you know, this country is inherently racist to the core of its being. Uh, every white person is racist, and I know those, those are big, speaking in generalizations, but that kind of is at the crux of what CRT is getting at, seeing the world through race, yeah. obviously the LGBT stuff. I think when these public schools and some of these more blue states, these blue cities, you know, they're not giving any exemptions for uh, conscious objections. If they're just saying, hey, it's my way or the highway, they're not even willing to entertain uh, conversations at school board meetings uh, about these issues. I think it probably is time to pull the trigger and pull, to pull your kids out if you get a sense that the administration, the school board, uh, you know, if you present your ideas and you're just called a bigot and a hater, it's clear they don't want to, you know, there, there are some true liberals that are happy to have a conversation, to have, you know, other opinions be brought to the table. But there are others, and again, you're talking normally the, the, the blue states, those, those blue cities that are led by Democrat-led governors and mayors. 
but increasingly I think it is harder and harder for your kids to be there because yeah. your beliefs are simply no longer welcome there. Well, yeah, and I know you had another article at your website about what's been going on, the talk about the Chicago Public Schools and some of the condom distribution to younger and younger kids. I, uh, we have gotten so far away from what education is supposed to be in the first place. It's just kind of feeling in some of these bluer states and bluer cities sometimes that it's just a, an, a leftist activist greenhouse and your child is going to be there, the plant who will be watered with CRT and LGBT and they'll grow into some kind of big plant for the left. And we all know as Christians that that's preposterous and we have a much greater duty to make sure we are overseeing their education. Now, you mentioned before that you're in the process of designing this children's curricula through this Center for Biblical Worldview that you had up. Tell us more about that because I find that very interesting. I think sometimes when you have these alternative curriculums that you can use at home, that that can be a fantastic way to educate your kids. Oh, no, I agree, Janet. And I'll, I'll plug my friend Jeff Myers because they already have curriculum that you can find at Summit Ministries. But yes, here at FRC, what we are doing is I've written a short uh, series of booklets that uh, people can get for free uh, online at frc.org slash worldview. Uh, but these booklets talk about the life issue, uh, religious liberty, uh, abortion, uh, political engagement, uh, worldview, marriage. And what we're doing is we are turning those into a, a series of guides uh, that parents can actually use with their children in the form of a curriculum or even uh, taking one page a day as kind of a devotional to lead your family through. Uh, because, again, to me, that number that George Barna has, that one's worldview is solidified by 13. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, people's we, we believe in conversion. We believe that you know things can adjust and change. But by and large, if one's worldview, the fundamental posture and orientation they have towards the world is solidified by 13, my goodness, we have to be coming alongside Christian parents and helping them uh, disciple their children. And that's why Center for Biblical Worldview exists. And, you know, my prayer is I lead the centers in the the weeks and months to come. We will be having even more uh, free resources for parents to access on our site. Oh, I'm so glad you're doing this. This is just so needed. And I know so many in our audience will be taking advantage of that. You said frc.org slash worldview. People can check out more information over there. What about the duty of protection? Just very quickly, David, I know we're coming to a close here, but when we look at the TikTok Instagram generation that is younger and younger, you know, kids are watching these particular sites and the videos and there's so much influence that comes through the Internet. What kind of duty do we have alongside educating our kids in biblical truth, also protecting them from worldly error? How do you balance those things? Yeah, we, we don't want to be the ones who shot, you know, uh, siphon our children off from everything that's going on. Uh, we want to be the ones helping them think about these issues. But you're right, especially with technology, I think uh, young boys, the average age of exposure to pornography is five or six years old. Um, and I think it's just ludicrous to give a smartphone to a child with unfiltered Internet access. Um, you are asking for trouble. So absolutely, parents need to be the chief disciple makers and the chief protectors of their child. Well, right. And, and that, that magic number of age 13 is when basically your worldview is solidified apart from Christ saving you past that point and, and getting into the Word of God and learning that biblical worldview. But that's very sobering. What that really is saying is that when you go back to Deuteronomy 6, which you quote in your article, when the Lord commanded parents that you, ha- you shall teach them diligently, you know, these words that I commanded you, teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, that was done in the context 
context of Israel, clearly, but it applies to us now. Talking to your kids, interacting with your kids, taking every opportunity of interaction to solidify the authority of God and his word over our lives goes so far because we are the ones who love them the most. We're their moms and their dads. The school cannot possibly love the children as much as we do. And that matters. No, it matters. And, you know, Janet, you know, you don't have to have a Ph.D. in education uh, to, you know, I know parents can be uh, intimidated. Oh, how do I parent? You know, just love your kids. Uh, Be wise. Be discerning. uh, Be intentional about having conversations. And and that's what discipleship looks like, just life on life, uh, walking with your son, walking with your daughter through these issues. And when these issues come up in the, the news, the public discourse, just use that opportunity. Here's what the issue is. Here's how the world's thinking about it. But here's what God says about it, and here's how we can think about it together. Excellent. FRC.org slash worldview. You can get more information over there. David Clausen, so excited about this new project, David, and I'm so glad you were able to stop by and share a little bit of your insight with us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Janet. You are welcome. God bless you. Hey, thanks a lot for being here on Janet Meffer today. It's always a pleasure to have you along. We hope you will tune in next time. God bless. God bless.